So, we are entering into a season and a series leading up to Easter about spiritual gifts. And on every chair was one of these. This is for you all. We have two each if you want. It just means twice as much work. I'd recommend one, but help yourself, whatever you like. So, um, with the, these are a spiritual gift survey. And what we would encourage you to do for your own benefit is not going to be marked you're not going to be asked to give an account of what you found out. This is for you. Greg will, because he was really disappointed when I said that. But everybody else, you're off the hook. This is to, to encourage you in your faith. It's to help see how God has put you together and what God has called you into. It's to help. It might actually shed some light on you going, oh, this ministry I've been doing or this service I've been doing hasn't really been been uplifting me and you might discover that you're actually not gifted to do it and that's an okay thing. There might be other areas that you never thought you might be gifted into that doing this might lead you to encounter and to ponder and to think about that. And so we're going to be having chat about this every week. I'd be encouraging you each week to, to listen to the sermons. Um, as I said this morning, um, I'm going to speak about two gifts every week and the problem with doing this is if your gift isn't spoken, spoken about, you can think, oh, this is just a boring elementary rubbish sermon. But if your gift is spoken about, something that comes alive in you. So I would encourage you to put up with the stuff that's maybe not quite doing it for you because the, the stuff that will do it for you, is, if it's not already there, it will shortly come. My hope is that you'll be encouraged and empowered through this season that you could look at who you are and the experiences God has put in your life, the skills and all those things and what he has gifted you to do and find some faith to step into that more and more. Um, you should be, so basically you fill in all the, the you answer as best you can and then there's a, a grid at the back, a matrix at the back that you fill in that gives you some sort of idea. Um, if you struggle with that part of it, just come chat to me or somebody else that you think might be good at maths. We'll just talk to Karen, she should be graded. Um, when you basically add up the different categories and that tells you the strength or the leaning toward. You're not looking for a 10 out of 10. Like, it's not that kind, it's not a test, right? It's a survey. So, it doesn't matter how high your scores are. What matters is how, what it leans into. But we'll talk about that as you go on. Take your time. Um, you've got eight weeks to fill this in, but I'd encourage you to do it this week. You can even do it now while we're chatting, that's fine. Um, uh, because this will really help you and, and kind of set you up for thinking about where we're going. So when a person becomes a Christian, God imparts to them his Holy Spirit. In, in Acts 2, 38, when Paul, Peter is just sort of describing how the church is going to work, he says, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit will be given to you and will empower you to do things that without the presence of the Holy Spirit you just simply wouldn't be able to do. Things of a God nature, things of a supernatural nature. And so as we go through this, we will talk about deliberately, outrightly supernatural things that if you're wondering, mm, is, how does that work out? That is part of the Holy Spirit's work through us that calls us into that space. A spiritual gift is how God extends his reach into the world extends his reach into other people's lives, into situations and into the places where you work, where you live, where you, do, where you recreate, where you do all of that. That's how God uses you to touch them through the, the ways he has gifted you to do. And he gifts us all differently so we might be a healthy, thriving church to do all the things 
that God calls us to do as a church. And we'll unpack a lot of this as we go through. But there are lots of spiritual gifts. The Bible um, sort of speaks to them a lot. There's a lot of lists. There's a lot of accounts of this happening and there's a lot of stories that capture. I'm more of the persuasion to lean toward there's probably gifts that aren't specifically named in Scripture but are still gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to work through as opposed to saying it's, this is the be-all and end-all. The problem with the be-all and end-all is I could give you ten different surveys and they'd all have a different be-all and end-all. So my hunch is that God's a far more creative God than we, we want to give him credit for. He doesn't too much like boxes, he likes to live outside of them. And so what we're doing through this process, this is to help, the survey is to help, but to say, God, how have you uniquely put me together? How is it that you want your will to be manifest in my life so that I can show others? So, I'm getting way ahead of myself. When we, when we use our gifts, we get to step in to the full potential God has made us. So there should be connected to that a sense of fulfilment, a sense of joy, a sense of, ah, this is where God wants me to be. And, and spiritual gifts are actually spiritual weapons. We don't like talking about war too much at church, but these are the way that God has equipped us, has, has um, made us battle ready for the spiritual war that takes place. And so they are ways of entering in to the spiritual action on behalf of God. Um, and so what's essential is that we understand that God doesn't gift us just for fun or for kicks or it's like, ah... Oh, This will be fun, watch them run around doing this. No, no, no. There is a spiritual war that takes place that God gifts us in order that the devil's dominion does not continue to expand but instead retreats. So when we think about this, this is really serious stuff. It's, It's at the epitome of what we're called to do and respond to as Christians. So tonight we're going to talk about the spiritual gifts of leadership and apostleship. And Some of you are just like, so let me jump in. When I was 16 years old, I no, when I, sorry, I was 18 years old. Mum invited me to go with her to a conference. It was a conference where a man called Bill Hybels, uh, whose now situation in the world has drastically changed, but at the time he was the um, the evangelical leader of church world that everyone looked to for for sort of guidance. I didn't know this. I knew that he wrote a book called Too Busy Not to Pray, and I'd read it. And I'd started praying as a, as a result. And so when mum said, you should come along to this, I was keen. I'm like, well, the book went down well. Another day on it, it's not going to be too bad. So we went along to this conference and we sat down and I realised it was a leadership conference. And that was fine. And so he spoke and he spoke quite well for the first session. And at the end of the first session, he ruined everything. He said, after the break, we're going to come back and there's going to be a test. So I looked at mum because I'm like, I don't like tests, never have, not very good at them, not very fun, supposed to be a good day at a conference, have to do a test on this thing called leadership. And I said to mum, like, this is going to be a bit awkward because I hope he doesn't ask people that fail anything in particular because I'm going to fail. And mum said, what are you talking about? You're a leader. And it was the first time it had ever been acknowledged or, and I'd never, I'd lived my whole life naive to the fact that God might be calling me into leadership until mum said it there and I didn't believe her. I was just like, oh, that's what mums say, right? Mum's got to say nice things. Oh, you're a leader. And so then, Bill jumps in with this test and I aced the test. It wasn't very difficult. There were four questions. Do you think you have the gift of leadership? And I, as, I, as I sat there, I realised that maybe I completely missed something 
that God was inviting me into that I needed to take hold of it in order to do the things that God was calling me to do and become more of the person that God had made me to do. So many of you, 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 you know this, a few years ago I wrote a book called The Anonymous Leader. It was about my leadership journey and how I understood the gift of leadership and, and what leadership was. Um, often in leadership, one of the challenges a leader has is they say, follow me, but also follow God. And it can be quite confusing, especially if the leader isn't positioned in such a way that people can easily see God in their leadership and in their life and so forth. So we have a bit of a challenge as leaders because we're asking people to follow two different things at the same time. Follow me and follow God. And if we're honest about it, it's easy and we sometimes feel good when people are following us. And following God is, is good, if we're honest about it. right? So I wrote this book to help wrestle with that to help people understand where they, they uh, sort of sat in relationship to God, how all of that worked. And so the book's called The Anonymous Leader, and I know a bunch of you have it, but if you don't and you want one, they're on the back table. And so they're usually 25 bucks. I put them for 15 because it just pays for the, um, the production of them. But if you want one, they're at the back, and I would encourage you to read it, especially, especially if you had the gift of leadership. They're also, like those four and the other... Oh, Pete's gone, look at that. He's going to run off at it. Um, those four and the other eight upstairs are like the last ones that I have at all. So, whatever that means. So, Romans 12.8 talks about this gift of leadership. It says, if your gift is leadership, let them govern diligently. Now, this word diligent is is an uncommon word. Can you think of the last time someone used diligent or diligence to you? It's not one we regularly throw around. We get what it means. Um, but, but so often we, we, uh, we, we don't hear it. And so when you look at the Greek, the Greek for the word is spenzo. Spenzo. It's a fun word to say. Some Greek words aren't. We're going to say it together. Ready? On the spenzo. On the count of three. One, two, three. Spenzo. Nice. You're speaking ancient Greek now. Well done, everyone. See? Changed the world, didn't it? Everything just changed right then. No. So, it's a combination of two different words. Spenzo. It's a combination of quick, speed, efficiency, pace. It's, it's like in the mornings when we're ready to go to school and we're all packed and we're all looking good and I'm like, we're finally going to get out of the house on time and just at that critical moment of stepping toward the front door, Hamish says, Dad, I have an emergency. I have to show you my latest skateboard trick. Or one of the kids says, oh, um, I've somehow forgotten how to put my socks on today, unlike every other day. Or the one time when Zari says, ah, Dad, the, uh, the, the insect we caught for show and tell, it, I've lost it in the house. Like, oh, your mother's going to love you for that. See, we, I want efficiency, I want them to be diligent and they often, fairly frequent, nearly all the time, completely fail at that. That's part of this word spenzo. It's part of what it means. Um, efficiency and, and pace. But the other part of, um, of, of spenzo is this idea of being all in for the sake of something else. So fully committed, I'm fully devoted, I've put myself completely into this um, for the sake of the cause or God or whatever else is happening. So this word spenzo, we, we translate as one of our translations as diligent, but to lead with all diligence, um, what it actually means is to invest yourself fully 
and efficiently into others so that your influence of them will glorify God. Right? That's, that's this picture of spiritual gift that we're given in the scriptures. That's how we exercise it. So, Paul, when he was writing to Rome, said, if your gift is leadership, let them govern diligently. Let them invest themselves fully so they can efficiently influence others in order that God might be glorified. So, I want to have a brief look at someone in the scriptures that did this really, really well. They were clearly gifted with the gift of leadership and their name is Deborah. So, I want to, on a show of hands, if you've never heard that there's a Deborah in the Bible. There's a few like, oh, this is such a cool story, you're going to love it. So, here it is. It's in Judges 4. So, Deborah was a judge. Um, In Judges 4, verse 1, it kicks off. It says, After Ehud died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord, which is kind of a repeating theme all through the Old Testament and then through all of humanity, right? That's just how we are as people. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, a king of Canaan. So Canaan was the land they went into and one of the kings, God says, Oh, look, I'm just done. You can be slave to that king. That because he had 900 iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried out to the Lord for help. I don't think they cried out to the Lord for help because he had so many chariots. I think it was more about the oppression. But when these things like chariots are mentioned, what it means is he was powerful. So he was a powerful king that God sold his people into. They've been oppressed for 20 years and they're finally sick of it. They have a repentant heart, right? The heart is starting to change. Things were ugly. And in this predicament, right at this moment, the next verse, verse 4, says this. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. Crazy, right? There was a woman in Israel's history who led the entire nation and was understood to be their leader. I love this. Because at the time, exactly, at the time, women were disrespected, they were oppressed and they were used for males' needs. There was, there was no value in women, yet somehow, Deborah, who was a prophet, a prophetess, was then the leader of Israel. She was gifted with this powerful gift of leadership. And then there's a few verses on how it all unfolded. It's awesome. It's not just like that and then we move on to something else. We get to hear a little bit about it. So verse 5 says, She held court under the palm of Deborah. See, when, when, when you're leading, you can just name palm trees after yourself. Right? It's very exciting. And the Israelites, they came to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam from Kadesh in Naphtali and said to him, now he, she basically sent for her right hand man, her commander in chief of all the armies. So she sends for Barak um, and says to him, the Lord, the God of Israel commands you, go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them to the way, lead them and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, who is the king, the commander of Jebin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishron River and give them into your hand. So she basically says to Barak, go and set an ambush and I'm going to bait them into it and we'll destroy them, we'll be free, God will give us this victory. This woman, Deborah, is most definitely gifted 
in leadership. She was placed in leading God's people. She was in tune with God. She was smart. She was courageous. She was all about God's desires and she was leading diligently. Didn't waste any time. She was all in. And because of this, God gave her influence. Now watch, as she exercises that influence as opposed to Barak, her right-hand man. Verse 8, Barak says to her, after hearing this challenge to go and take the land back, he says, if you go with me, I will go, but if you don't go with me, I will not go. What a wuss! When this, is, this isn't like some like farm boy. This is the leader of the army. And like, oh, oh, boss, if you come with us, I'm in, but if you... If you said, no, 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 I, I don't, I, I, haven't, I, can't, I can't do that. He puts himself at the mercy of Deborah's influence. What he's actually saying is, I am so dependent on your influence. Your influence is so significant, your leadership is so significant that, that I actually want to stay real close to it, real, real safe to it. So Barak, he was a man who led thousands. It was his job to assemble the army. See, Barak was able to lead, but Deborah was gifted to lead. Barak was able to lead, but Deborah, she was gifted to lead. And a person with a spiritual gift of leadership knows that they cannot wimp out when the pressure comes, when the opposition comes, when things are difficult, when the, when the, the, the task seems gigantic. A person with the gift of leadership, the gift will not allow someone to back down from that. It didn't allow Deborah to back down. Because it's more than just her well-being at stake. She's not concerned about her well-being. She's concerned about the well-being of the whole of Israel. You see, the gift of leadership, it gives us a burden for the sake of others, not just for ourselves. Very well, Deborah says in verse 9. I will go with you, but because of the way that you're going about this, the honour will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. I reckon she loved saying that to Barak. <laughs> Think you're all that? So you realise, the way this is playing out, all the honours coming my way is not going towards you. So biblically speaking, honour is attached to leadership. We don't like to talk about that sometimes in church. It can be really uncomfortable. But biblically speaking, honour is attached to leadership. And in this story, Barak forfeits the honour due him because he forfeits his influence. He forfeits his leadership. While Deborah moves in the opposite direction. She moves toward the problem. She moves into the leadership space to exercise her leadership gift and to claim honour that is due the leader. And this bit's super cool. This is what my book is all about. The way the spiritual gift works in Deborah's life is when she receives the honour, she gives it straight to God. So she is not honoured, but God is honoured by what takes place. She doesn't claim honour for herself. She leaves it unclaimed in God's hand. She simply says that God will hand it over. God will do all the work. God, God will, will fulfil all that he has said. The one with the gift of leadership is more intent on God being honoured than themselves. That's why God places honour in leadership because he knows with people with the gifts of leadership they will transfer that honour to him. He will be honoured. He will be glorified. And so the gifted leader um, uses the honour they receive to direct people's attention to glorify God. That's what the gift of leadership looks like. So, Building on this gift is the gift of apostleship. And apostleship 
until right now, I've never heard a sermon on apostleship. I don't know if if you had. I actually heard it this morning and in practice and kind of writing it and stuff. But until this week, or these last couple of weeks, I have not heard a sermon. So we don't talk about it much in church. I think the reason we don't talk about it much in church is because we don't easily identify ourselves as apostles and we don't easily identify that in others. But it's one of the things on the survey. And, and the questions are, that hover around it are these. It's to the, connected to starting up new churches. So you guys kind of all qualify in that, right? I'm not saying you, you have that gift, but there, there's a sense of entrepreneurial ambition and going into the unknown and it being hard and I, I want to throw myself into it. it. It talks about working in unknown cultures. That doesn't need to necessarily mean um, in different countries, but different cultures, different places where we might feel like a fish out of water. It's where there is a sense of taking something God is doing and extending it to those outside of its natural reach. Which biblical character springs to mind when you hear the word apostle? Paul, right? The apostle Paul. He was like the prototype of what this gift looked like. Paul felt most at home when he was away from home with God. If you don't have the gift of apostleship, you go, that's just weird. But if you do, there's something in you that goes, yeah, no, I I get that. That's exciting. There's, There's something in that for me. I've got a friend who has this gift. Um, he currently lives in Cambodia in a city called Poi Pet. And what I love, I love a lot about Poi Pet, but what I love, the, most, the thing I enjoy the most is the Lonely Planet Guide describes Poi Pet as the underarm of Cambodia. Right? It's just hot and sweaty and no one wants to go there ever. So Poi Pet is this place, it would be one of the poorest, it's the poorest city in, um, in Cambodia. It's probably likely to be the poorest city in the whole of Asia. Um, and, and he goes there, he shares the story, um, when you come, you come from, you fly into Bangkok, you drive down to the border, you cross the border and Poi Pet's right there. Um, and as you cross the border, you walk across this bridge and halfway across the bridge is a river and a marker and that's the marker point between Thailand and Cambodia between Thailand and you're stepping into Poi Pet. And Polito had been, my friend Polito had been to um, Poi Pet a number of times, but he says there was this one particular time, probably the third or fourth time we, we was doing this, he walked over the bridge, he took a step into Poi Pet and felt God say, and this time you must stay. And he did, with his wife and two little girls. He stayed. He's from the Philippines. He speaks Filipino. At the time he didn't speak Khmer. He speaks a little bit of English, or used to speak a little bit of English. He's very fluent in English now and very fluent in Khmer. When I was speaking to him last time, I said, how are you going like, with this whole language thing? He says, well, I've got it all down. I've got down the, the regular thing. I've got down the um, theological language. I'm now learning medical language in Khmer so I can further communicate and connect with people. Like, I don't even know medical language in English, man. That, that's amazing. So, 15 years ago, he felt God say, go, and he went. He up and left and went and left everything. He now is pastor of a church in Poipet and then a number, like a huge number of satellite churches in the little villages all scattered around Poipet. When he turned up, he had no support, no money, no team and no friends. It was he and Rose and their two little kids. He did it with no property, no resources and no tools 
and he did it in the poorest city in Cambodia. One of the times we were there, I asked him, he'd been there, he'd been there like 13, 14, 15 years, and I said, when was it, how do you do holidays? And he looked at me and like, pardon? Like I know all these English words, but that one's a weird one. What does that mean? Like, how do you do holidays, man? He's like, we don't, there's no time for holidays. Like, people are going to hell. There is mission work to be. There's no time to do holidays. And besides, what could we, we can't afford that. Everything we have goes into the mission. And so, me and the team put together a, uh, an offering and bought them a holiday, which was the first holiday they'd have in 15 years. And like, it's a holiday from Poipet to anywhere is like the cheapest thing in the entire world, right? That's how much he just invested and poured himself into what God had called him um, to do there. When you walk around with him, he oozes the gospel. It just leaks out of him. In this beautiful, like, inviting way, not accosting and not making people feel uncomfortable, but making sure that everybody who he bumps into knows that they're loved and valued by God, knows that they're probably not good enough for God and knows that the grace and the love of God is, is enough to bring salvation and save them. And it just oozes out of them in ways that I'm like, oh, and again, how do you do that all the time? It's this gift that just lives in him and seeks to express itself all the time. When you know Polito, you would say his heart is full of passion for people to know Jesus. Like you probably couldn't put any more passion in there. It's like overflowing. But his mind is set to how you win the entire country to Christ. And that, I think, is what, what epitomises that, that idea of apostleship. It's this, this deep wanting to connect to one-on-one and care for people, but at the same time going, hang on, what, what's the sake of the kingdom look like in this space that I'm now in? Polito is a modern-day Paul. And if I told that Polito to Polito, he would be utterly disgusted in fact, if he listens to this, this podcast, he's going to be very upset because he would say, are you, are you kidding? This, I'm completely unworthy of such, such a, a title. But if you want a snapshot of what Paul's church planting uh, prowess looked like, it's threaded through the New Testament from Acts onwards. But Acts 14, two verses kind of give us a really good feel for it. So as they preached the gospel in that city, they won a large number of disciples then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed themselves to the Lord in whom they had put their trust and then they went to the next city and did it again. So they went and they preached and they loved people and people responded to Christ and they gathered them together and, and didn't say, we'll call this a church. They just went, oh, we need some leadership of this and some order to help you grow in your faith. So they appointed elders, they trained the elders and they said, you're good? Alright, we're going on to the next city. And they did that time and time again. It was always Paul with him was Timothy and, and Mark and a few others from time to time. Barnabas joined in. Um, but they lived this, this life that brought that enabled the church to expand into Asia Minor in the way that it did. The books in the New Testament from, from Romans on are Paul's letters to those churches that he set up to help them and to encourage them and to slap them around the head when they were out of line. He cared so much for them that he wanted to do all he could to encourage them to, to, um, to health. Now here's what's interesting. You read the scriptures, you read Acts, you can't find anywhere where God says, Paul, I want you to go and plant churches. Paul, I want you to be an apostle. 
You can't find anywhere. You find a heaps of God saying, now go preach the gospel. And so Paul went out to do what he was told and enacted the gifts that were in him and the result was church planning. The result was going into unfamiliar and often hostile territory to preach about Jesus, that people might hear the good news and respond and then to sort of set that up, not to continue to pastor it, but to set that up and then move to the next place. When we plant another church, which village will do whatever we look like in the future, somebody in that mix will have the gift of apostleship. Hopefully a few people in that mix will have the gift of apostleship. Because healthy, growing churches need to be planted and they're planted by healthy, growing churches and they're planted by people who say, there's a gift that's stirring in me that's about the unfamiliar, it's about the risk, it's about going into those places and contributing and setting up and going, amazing, that's done, I'm going to move to somewhere different now. So there you go. The gift of leadership and the gift of apostleship. And so what I want to do now is my final commissioning of the day. I told you it was a day of commissionings, right? I would like to invite you up if you have the gift of leadership. You know, often with the gift of leadership, we get a little bit, um, this morning when I preached, there are a few people who are on church council who lead all the time going, I am not a leader. Like, well, everybody else here knows you are. And so, to step out of that space, that's okay because a leader doesn't have to be the one that stands up front and calls the shots with the microphone and we go, wow, that's what a leader looks like. No, no, a leader is someone, as I said before, who with efficiency, with diligency, is all in with their influence to influence others for the glory of God in a way that, that brings, moves people forward. So, if you have the gift of leadership, if you think you might have the gift of leadership. If you feel that you're in a space where leadership is required of you and you feel completely inadequate or if you're thinking that would be a gift I would like to have I want you to jump out of your seats and I want you to come up and I'm going to commission you with some words and then I'm going to pray for you and so we'll do it so I would want you to just come up here and I'll do it and then we can return to wherever you want and we'll sing or worship Jesus but it's important that we, we stop and we pause and go, God has gifted us and if we can listen and respond to the way God has and step into that space, he will use us some more. So, if you, if you fall under any of those categories, come up now to stand. You can face the front, that's fine. And I'm going to, um, going to commission you.